to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Riesmandel, and joining me on the other side of this table is co-host and co-producer Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. It's nice to be here. Thanks for listening to Radio Survivor today, and we're joined on the line via Skype from sunny San Francisco, California, by Jennifer Waits. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. It's actually foggy. Oh, good. <laughs> we wouldn't want it to be too sunny. But we just learned you live in the Sunnyside neighborhood. It's true. But it's not sunny today. It is occasionally, but not today. Well, today uh, we'll be bringing the sun onto, <laughs> onto all topics, radio and podcasting and audio and communities. We will shine the sun down. Uh, Jennifer has a tour to share with us of a wonderful new low-power FM station in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. And we also have a lot of, of follow-up and news to cover. So we've got some follow-up on stories that we've uh, talked about last week on the show as well as previous weeks and uh, some news from the world of college radio, which of course is Jennifer's specialty. Uh, there's a lot to do, but I mean the first actual piece of follow-up we talked uh, two weeks ago, two episodes ago on episode uh, number 95 about a service called Mixcloud. We've been obsessed with Mixcloud this, <laughs> this month. It's been fun. And you know, it's a service which allows stations or DJs to upload their mixes I'm or a, their I, shows. I just need to just, Put a pin in it right here. Plant my flag. I'm obsessed with Mixcloud because uh, throughout the entire time of radio uh, uh, passion in my life, the internet has ex- existed. But there's been um, at some point early in that passion and in that use of the internet and community radio, uh, rules came down that were pretty severe and took the music down. All those beautiful archives that that my radio station back in 2006 we're starting to post all these archives of all these music shows um, very quickly all disappeared. And that happened all over yeah. the country and the, United, and the in world. In the United really. States, different rules in different countries, but certainly in the United and States, that was the case. here we are in 2017, and there's a service that brings these archives back and lets them, allows them to live in public where they can be clicked upon at any moment as soon as you know that they're there and listened to, uh, and then the artists get paid. Yeah. Mix cloud. So, yeah, we talked about it in episode 95, two episodes ago. Uh, go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Look for number 95 for the notes or to listen to it if you missed it. But I wanted to announce that our colleague, Matthew Lassar, a co-founder of Radio Survivor, someone you hear from on, on this very show, has created his own show on Mixcloud under the Radio Survivor uh, channel. So if you go to Mixcloud.com slash Radio Survivor, you can hear episode one of Hybrid Highbrow. And it's a wonderful short little show. It's 18 minutes. I can't wait to listen to uh, Hybrid Highbrow. No, I don't know if I can do it justice, but Hybrid Highbrow is, is Matthew's idea that by sort of siloing classical music and siloing jazz and siloing other sort of class uh, popular musics, it does a disservice. It yeah. does a disservice to we've their artistic about, history and to, and to listeners, in fact. We've talked about Hybrid Highbrow with Matthew on the Radio Survivor program at least two separate episodes and we'll get those in the show notes we'll we'll hunt both of those episodes down and so i feel like i'm uh one of the experts in matthew's idea and it's that um because he digs into it too where like he'll he he talked about on the podcast it was probably a, a year and a half ago now that like the entire uh invention of classical radio was sort of a convoluted elitism that wasn't really grounded in any sort of uh, real audience need. It was more right. about educating about these, educating the, the stupid masses <laughs> and, right. and, and pacifying them instead of uh, the enjoyment of beautiful music. And so Matthew sort of uh, uh, not single-handedly, I was about to say single-handedly because he's actually taken this idea to the internet more than twice and and uh, engaged with communities about it to try to bounce ideas off them and get ideas back. But the idea being that there's nothing wrong with playing classical music on the radio. It's just being done in a very strange and siloed way. Right. So he and wants to, to grow the what's possible with in, this in a parochial music. canonical way. The mostly Mozart, you know, mostly lots Mo- of Brahms, yeah. but three European guys from. 
Exactly. Yeah. Or the most popular movements leave off the rest of the piece. And so Matthew is, is, is turn is taking this idea and putting it to action. It's, it's praxis right here and creating the, uh, radio survivor hybrid highbrow, uh, podcast. So, uh, we encourage you to check it out. It's the, the first one's 18 minutes and it, it covers both, uh, the blues all the way to, to classical. Oh, and he draws wait. some great connections. I, I really enjoyed it. We might and just shut down this talk show right now <laughs> and switch over That's to, right. to all focusing on hybrid highbrow or whatever else is, uh, is exciting at the moment. So I want folks to check it out. Go to mixcloud.com slash radio survivor. You can also learn about in our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. This is episode number 97. But then we have some follow-up from, Last week's episode, number 96. Uh, speaking of the future of radio. Yes. We talked about smart speakers with a very smart journalist whose uh, home station is KPFA. Yeah, former coworker and friend of mine. Uh, Brian Edwards Teekert, but he did a fellowship, the John S. Knight Fellowship at Stanford to investigate questions about uh, journalism, especially radio journalism in the modern age. And he did research on smart speakers yeah. on, on on the uh, the Amazon, uh, what is the damn thing called? It's the Alexa is what you call it. Do you say, hey, Alexa? Uh, but then, you know, it's the, the there's Amazon all of, there's dot, a bunch of branding the, the, that we don't Google it's home, none of our business to get the branding the Apple right home pod and all of these. <laughs> do, you, do you have one of these smart speakers, Jennifer? No, I, I don't. I'm a bit terrified, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all none of neither Eric nor I own one. It's and we're, we have, I think, all that similar trepidation. Although, well, I, I don't even use Siri on my phone, so I'm definitely a bit dubious about having people know my questions. Yes. But clearly if you Google anything and you're not, um, uh, next level paranoid about protecting your identity as you Google, all of that information is already being, um, that is stored as you know, you, they know that you are searching this stuff and your phone is, they know my questions already. Yeah. And they, and your phone is in your pocket and it goes everywhere you go. And that map is, is uh, a part of <laughs> you're, you're like you're just saying just throw caution into the wind at this point. There's no unless right. you're going to so use you, Duck Duck Go and Signal and, <laughs> and and just encrypt everything. You might as well let them have your radio as well. But um, gosh, what what Brian Every Secret taught me at during that episode that I thought was so interesting was that um, it's it's like radio in so many ways that we here on Radio Survivor would call radio, but these massively successful corporations that are rapidly um, munching up the entertainment sphere to, to, to keep us around, you know, lots of streaming video, lots of other content, um, Amazon in particular, um, they don't think of it as radio in the slightest. Well, uh, I'll tell you who is thinking of it as radio. NPR is thinking about it yeah. as radio. So we have some new research coming from Edison Research, uh, they're the ones responsible for the share of dial. Uh, so every year they have all this data about radio listening, podcast listening, all sorts of audio listening. They do that research every year. NPR teamed up with them to do research on smart speakers. Yeah, because so, so many people are purchasing them 2017, 2018. It's going to be – it's just getting bigger and bigger is yeah. the idea. There's no uh, – And they'll, they'll probably keep getting cheaper and cheaper, right? Because right? you know Amazon wants you to have them in, their, in your house at least – thinking you'll you'll order more stuff with it uh, and consume more audio consume more stuff with it so they surveyed 1620 people hands-free phone basically that's what they're going to offer it yeah yeah, it's really just your phone without having to touch it anymore with yeah and without having to talk to a person or yeah (laughs) and it talks back yeah Um, i say phone when i really mean my internet connected touchscreen device oh you mean your your smartphone or your ipad or something right exactly so they surveyed 1,620 people, 800 of whom are smart speaker owners, right? So they could get some comparison data. And there's more coming, but this is some preliminary data they just released. 42% of the speaker owners now say that the devices are essential to their lives. Yeah. Right? Wow. I mean, I think that's what people would say. I mean, I would probably say at this point about my smartphone. Yeah. I or use your it radio constantly. in the 80s. Yeah, or your radio in the 80s. I use it constantly and... And so 65% of the smart speaker owners said they would not want to go back to life without the smart speaker. Mm-hmm. So already they've been around a year, maybe a little bit more than a year. These folks say they don't want to go back to life without them. 
70% of the owners say they are listening to more audio at home since acquiring the device. Yeah, they make it ah. easy and convenient. I think, that, and I think that's the critical number because it, it really, it really dovetails with what uh, Brian Edwards Teeker was talking with us about last time, which is he said, you know, in part of the research, he now has two of these devices, and he uses it has replaced his morning radio routine, where he asks his uh, smart speaker to play him Democracy Now, to play him news headlines. Yeah. And that's how he's getting it. And and, and and the thing is, of course, instead of turning on his radio and catching Democracy Now! 20 or 30 minutes in, he asks his smart speaker to play Democracy Now! He's hearing it from the top. Yeah, and he was really describing mm. to me, which made a lot of sense, just the friction of getting out your phone, going to your podcast app, clicking on the podcast, finding the one you want to listen to, plugging your earbuds in. You know, by that or time, plugging a speaker or you've something. already decided yeah. not to try. Yeah. And, and with the smart speaker, it's Play Me Democracy Now!, Literally, you say this out loud to your speaker, and then you get it. It does. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, for me, it's similar to when I got my internet radio. I I was suddenly listening to, so KFJC, where I DJ, it doesn't come in on a regular radio in my house. So if I wanted to listen to it previously, I'd have to fire up my computer or the app on my phone. But now I have an internet radio and so I just turn it on and my alarm is set to that station. Yeah. I, so I can understand how like the, the easier you make it, the fewer steps you have, the more likely you are to listen to something. Yeah. Last year I purchased a Bluetooth speaker so that I could finally turn, you know, instead of listening to my iPhone's built-in speakers or just being alone in my earbuds while I was walking around the house listening to uh, quote unquote the radio, now I had the Bluetooth speaker and, and all of a sudden it really opened up the world of streaming any music I chose, streaming any radio I chose, streaming any podcast I chose in my home. And I realized that that's no, that's not very different than the smart speaker experience. But um, again, we're here in the radio survivor universe where we're power users. I hate, I don't want to own that well, word. We're deep in it. We do it. We do it because we love it. And the people that were surveyed in NPR survey, um, those aren't the same power users. Those are regular old. Yeah, they're not necessarily themselves radio or podcast enthusiasts, although they also found that 70% of the speaker owners listen to podcasts sure. versus 45% of the non-owners. Yeah, because so, they're um, early adopters of technology, so that makes sense. Yeah. Say that number again. 70% of speaker owners listen to podcast uh-huh. versus 40% of the people who don't own speakers. Okay. So, so And Jennifer was uh, assuming that that was because... The- oh, somebody who would buy a smart speaker right. is likely an early adopter of technology. So they're yeah. also likely to be listening to podcasts. Or and- also, I think part of the, uh, I think one of the assumptions that's underlying this or one conclusion one would make is that they listen to podcasts because the smart speaker also makes it, makes so it a little bit easier a than it would both, be. I'm sure They've, the two ideas yeah. feed each other. Especially at home. Because I, I think this is where where I think radio in many right. ways has receded from a lot of people's lives. Right. Radio still dominates the car. It's it, 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 but I think it's radio listening at home has been much more supplanted by people uh, who don't, who are, who don't use uh, radios, who don't use stereos at all, who have a Bluetooth speaker. And so they're listening to Spotify yeah. or, or they don't listen to, or they simply don't use audio at home at all. Like for a lot of people, the TV is predominant. Yeah. Right. And 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 so the radios have kind of just left their life in a lot of ways. And so they think of, oh, and a lot of people listen to music through their television. I mean, you have a smart television. It does Pandora. It does Spotify. So you don't you know, you end up sort of turning that into your multipurpose device and radio falls to the background. And now there's an opportunity with these devices where audio kind of steps up because it it gets its own little home, so to speak. And as Brian Everseeker pointed out on the last episode of Radio Survivor here, um, this technology is coming to the car. Right. And that's really going to be a very large event, a tectonic shift for the world of radio. Yeah, what, when, what we're when, basically waiting on and what we have been waiting on, especially if, if you talk about podcasting in particular, um, what we've been waiting on is, is a truly internet-connected car, right? And it's happening, 
But uh, but right now, most cars, the car itself is not connected to the internet. Yeah, it's your phone. It's your phone to your connected to your paper. to or connected to the dashboard in some other yeah. way, and it relies on your phone's data connection, which has its pluses and minuses. One of the big minuses, of course, is that it's an active process; you have to do it, and it's prone to failures. and And now, I mean, there are some models of car. I think some Chevys have in, have internet built in, have their own hotspot. Uh, but that means, of course, you need another internet account for your car. But that's, I think, where things are going. You know, so but people don't buy cars as frequently as they buy new phones or as frequently they as they buy gadgets. So it takes, you know, five to 10 years cycle to turn over and for these technologies to become predominant in a car. But I think that, yeah, putting on, you know, your crystal ball, getting it out of the closet and dusting it off. That's what you see in five to 10 years is these technologies in the car because the car itself is an internet device. So in case you didn't listen to last week's episode, we know that National Public Radio, NPR, is uh, extremely uh, focused. They are paying attention to this smart speaker revolution. They're not They're not ignoring it. But we were talking to Brian Edwards Secret because we want to make sure that the people in the community radio Community radio, community are podcasting, aware uh, or small public radio newsrooms. I mean, folks in all sorts of community-oriented, independent uh, broadcasting in all of its forms – yeah, we, we, we think it's something worth paying attention yeah. to. And, and, and it's interesting to me, Jennifer, is you drew that parallel with your internet radio that you bought, which seemed to be much more popular in like the UK than they are in the United States. They're relatively big sellers in the UK, but not big sellers in, in the US. I think it's because the in the UK, they often also have the digital audio system built into it, mm. digital audio broadcasting, so you can use it to get like the BBC – in, in these extra BBC channels alongside of lots of internet internet uh, broadcasting. But I think it's an interesting parallel uh, there because I think that, again, we're increasingly thinking about radio being not bound to transmitters. So it's great that we can get radio on a transmitter. But I listen to the new low-power FM stations here in Portland primarily on the internet. Yeah, they're local frankly, and you love them and yet – they They're come in internet radio. They come in best on the internet, yeah. right? And I use a Sonos system, yeah. which allows me to to pretty easily tune them in. And then you're using your your digital uh, your your internet radio, Jennifer, to listen to KFGC, where you do your own shows because it doesn't come in, in very well in your part where you live in San Francisco, even though it's right. a local station. It comes in, yeah, it comes in in my car really well. But not in my house. Oh, you need to you need to go back. To, what episode was that? Where all we talked about was radio antennas. Was no, one. I know. I love that episode. <laughs> I need to get one of the radios recommended. Right. Uh, I think. What but yeah, go ahead. I think a lot of people listen to their stations in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. So they might listen terrestrially when they're driving, and might listen online. You know, when they're out of town or inside a building. Yeah, and I think increasingly people are are probably aside from their cars trending towards digital in in a lot of ways. Not everyone. There's still a lot of people using regular radios, but I think for a lot of especially uh, middle class folks who, who who are themselves already spend a lot of their life online, they are radio is a digital thing already. Whether they think of it that way or not, it's already an internet thing because that's where they turn tune to get things in, and it becomes sort of global. And that's why uh, the smart speaker is, is I think important, but I, I hadn't thought of it, even though it was sort of the thrust of our conversation last week about as an internet radio, as a specifically thinking about it yeah. as, Oh, how would I use this? Not as, Oh, play me, not just give me the news headlines, uh, or a very sort of like, um, goal oriented request, but how would I use it as a radio? So now this is research I want to do. I want to figure this out because we've, we did, Matthew and I have written these series of articles that we call such and such as our internet radio. I have my Sonos okay. system is my internet radio. You're saying on the radio survivor website, yeah. you've written articles with Matthew Lassar. Uh, yeah, about, fill in the blank is my internet and radio. how you would use it as internet radio or how it ends up being used as an internet radio. And, right. And then I, I chimed in, I probably did the most recent one. My TiVo is my internet Oh, that's radio. right. That's right. Yes. So uh, we'll we'll put this in our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Look for episode number 97. Uh, so you, people who are interested. But I think, you know, we now need to explore the uh, the Amazon Echo. My my Google Home is a, is a uh, internet radio. Do we know what the Apple brand wants to be? HomePod. HomePod. It's called HomePod. Good for them. And you are listening to Radio Survivor. This is the Sound of Strong Communities. I'm Paul Reismandel. With me is Eric Klein and Jennifer Waits. And 
As we just said, you can find us online at RaiderSurvivor.com. If you go to RaiderSurvivor.com slash podcast, you can find show notes. And of course, you can find all of our episodes. This constitutes number 97. So there's a pretty good back catalog if you uh, if you want to explore it. And of course, uh, you can listen to us online there. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to us on the radio, you, which you might be doing right now at X-Ray Radio, X-Ray.FM, which is at noon Pacific time in Portland, Oregon. We, we're very glad to have them, have them aboard. And Vancouver, Washington, the, the, the whole Portland metro area, X-Ray FM. We thank you. Thank them very much for uh, carrying the program. And if you have any comments about the show, we'd love to hear them. Drop us a line. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Yeah, if you have a smart speaker and you're listening to the radio on it, that's. Uh, oh, we'd love to hear yeah, about that you're, experience. You're, uh, yeah. We def- <laughs> if you're listening to Radio Survivor on the smart speaker, <laughs> you have to email us right now or tweet us at Radio Survivor. One of the most, I, I just really wanted to say before we moved on that, like, Brian Eversecret taught me that the. Like in addition to just recognizing that smart speakers are here, uh, please please don't ignore them anymore. Think about them tomorrow at a radio station. Um, your radio station could just figure out, uh, find someone with these smart speakers in their home and find out what works to turn your station on. Yeah, because that market research. Yeah, so so you know because but he, you could do that with a podcast. Like this is not. I think I want to make sure that we make very clear. We're often concerned with radio stations, but we're talking about podcasters. Right. We're talking about people oh, who, are do, who have internet stations, uh, independent DJs who might be working on SoundCloud. Any I think. producers out there within, yeah, who hear the sound of our voice, find out what it takes to ask one of these speakers to play you because it might not be as logical as you think it should be, but it is. there probably is a way to unlock that key. And then once you figure out what combination of words and letters and phonetic sounds get you what you were looking for, that's when you can actually tell your listeners on the other channels they hear you on how I mean, to we, do it. We actually did it live with Brian. Yeah. We yeah. asked him to to give his his uh, his Amazon Echo several commands. Yeah, and, <laughs> and see what it was interesting. And it, it, the the thing about these things is they're learning. They're learning how to listen to their users, and so uh, that's a whole other that's a whole other kettle of fish. But what else are we going to talk about on today's well, episode? Well, Jennifer, you've got a um, unfortunately a, a not happy story from the world of college radio about a station at Weber State University in Utah. Yes. Uh, well, so we we knew earlier this year that KWCR at Weber State, we knew that the license uh, would likely be sold. And we just learned that it indeed is being sold. And we learned who is purchasing the license. And it's EMF, which is a Christian broadcasting network. And they're going to be using the station to air um, the program Air One. Uh, which is a syndicated show uh, that airs all over the country. And and KWCR is a student-run station that actually hasn't really been consistently broadcasting over FM since about late 2015. Mm. So it's an interesting case in that it's not going from being a fully operational FM station to leaving the air. It, it's really... It, it hasn't been broadcasting over FM for quite some time. Um, intermittently, in order to keep the license going, they've been having sort of intermittent broadcasts over the past couple years. But they essentially went online only in 2015. So, so for the students, I would imagine it's not going to be really much of a difference. Um, but it, you know, it's a 50 year, 50 plus year legacy of radio on campus. Aww. So to me, that's always sad, even if, you know, they weren't really utilizing the FM in recent years. Um, and in, in sort of a sad twist or interesting twist around the same time that all this was happening, they were being investigated by the FCC for various complaints and, um, discrepancies that came up during their license renewal. So they were also levied a $9,300 civil penalty for various issues at the station, including um, problems with its public file, logs, and EAS monitoring. So um, it's interesting. They, they entered into a consent decree with the FCC, and it also includes a compliance plan so that going forward, they have more oversight over all of these 
important areas, you know, like your EAS system and your logs so that they won't have future violations. And it sounds like the that EMF will essentially take over that compliance yeah. plan. Since obviously, um, as an online-only station after the license transfer, you know, they're not going to have to maintain the same types of records yeah. for the FCC. Violations travel with the license. Hmm. So when the license changes hands, so do the violations or or, or, or consent uh, agreements that have been worked out. And just, you know, for folks who may not be as familiar with, with these radio terms like logs and EAS, essentially what, what happened here, Jennifer, and you can correct me if I get this wrong, is that they're not keeping their records straight. There's a paperwork. thing called a public file. It's paperwork, which uh, a station is required to to basically record its programming. It's especially public interest programming. Uh, that's you know that's called the IMP file, the issues and programming file. Um, it's also expected to keep track of the you know people hear the emergency alert system. Uh, sounds that sort of like modem sort of sounds. It's a this is a test of the emergency alert system. Well, you're supposed to log when you do. You're supposed to do them one, and you're supposed to log when you do them and keep a record of that uh, as part of sort of public safety. And there's all these things you're required to do. And if you don't do them, <laughs> you get fined because they're important that you do them. Important that you show that you do them. In this in this case, the station was recalcitrant. Yes, and and it happened. You know, there were violations that they admitted to over the course of several years. Mm. Um, and and also they received complaints from various folks, one of whom was a former student employee, um, which to me is a reminder that um, you always want to remain in good graces with your listeners and with your station staff, because I, I feel like uh, it's often the case where people very close to a station are the ones reporting problems to the FCC, which is is kind of sad that you, that people aren't able to sort of work out these complaints, um, without, you know, making a formal, um, formally telling the FCC about them. Yeah. If we're going to take this, uh, sad story and, and, and put a, um, a precept on it, it's, uh, you know, uh, be nice to everybody (laughs) in your community when you're part of a community radio station, even the cranks. It, it, it is worth saying that sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes, no, of course. I mean, sometimes, well, moreover, say, as nice as you are, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's just, but you can always choose the respectful uh, blow off as opposed to the disrespectful <laughs> blow off. Or maybe yes. if someone's the, calling your station too often, for instance, I suppose. Or, or the better advice is, is that if they're making a plausible sounding complaint, <laughs> you ought to follow up on sure. it whether or not you tell them you're following up on it and and check yourself before you wreck yourself i think would be the uh would be the right answer here because if there are actual violations going on eventually they will surface and one of the reasons they will surface complaint or not is that when you file your uh license renewal with the FCC every 7 years you have to basically sign a legal affidavit saying hmm. i say under the penalty of perjury that all my logs are up to date, that all of this stuff is here. That is your requirement. Whoever files that paperwork is saying and testifying that all this stuff is up to date. Keeping a radio station going is, is uh, it's it's grown-up work. work. And that's why many stations, you'll hear, oh, that they admitted to it. That's right, because they'd rather admit to it and pay the fine than, than, than be caught lying Perjury. on a legal affidavit. Yeah. Exactly. So, whether, you know, so here's the thing, whether someone ultimately complains about these problems or not, eventually you're going to have to own up to them. And the longer it goes, the higher the fine and the bigger problem it's going to be. And and one of the things I, I, I read a story about this uh, just last night. Which radio um, station are we talking about again? We're talking about KWCR, uh, which is at and will soon not be at Weber State University in Utah. Um, I read, a, I read in fact that, uh, some of the complaints that were filed also accused the station of basically airing illegal underwriting, underwriting that sounded mm-hmm. too much like commercials, mm-hmm. which non-commercial right. stations aren't permitted to do and also airing indecency. Right. And it's important. Yeah. And, drug ref- and drug references. Well, yeah. And it's important <laughs> to note that the station Community was, standards was in not, Utah. I know. was not fined for any of those things. Okay. Exactly. Because there was no, um, evidence submitted. 
Right. You can complain all you want without evidence the FCC is uh, disinclined to act, meaning do you have a recording? <sighs> right. I wanna... And there are also complaints about um, public service, mm. um, and that's another thing where it's it's really a gray area as to whether or not the station is providing and, and the know, FCC right generally is not going to adjudicate that, by the way. Exactly. So this is. So I, I think for me, um, you know, the biggest lesson is really to stay on top of your logs yeah. and everything that do you're required the basics to right. do. Yeah, just keep keep on top of things and have a system for it, um, because time and time again, that's what, in particular, college stations get dinged for is kind of years and years of things like the logs not being maintained and having to recreate all of that stuff after the fact is really cumbersome. So it really is much easier and the legal thing to do to stay on top of all of the record keeping. So it doesn't become this mammoth task. I want to ask Paul and Jennifer to try to put this local story that we consider a tragedy, a sad one, uh, into a bigger picture. So a college radio station in Utah is um, that wasn't even on the air at the moment, but could have been, but had a 50-year legacy of being an FM radio station there for that community. Um, you know, we hear Radio Survivor, episode 97. This would, I'm going to just estimate, be the 12th or 15th time we've talked about a college radio station uh, going off the air going off the FM dial. So what, what are the big picture lessons here? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's a lesson, but I mean, what's coming in its place is syndicated programming, um, from California actually. So syndicated religious programming from California. Yeah. So, you know, EMF is asking for a waiver of the main studio rule and, you know, broadcasts will be originating from thousand Oaks, California. So you're going to lose, local programming, um, in that area. And, and, and to me, I mean, that's sort of, that seems to be what happens in many of these cases that we've discussed on the podcast is that what you're replaced with is something that can be heard in many other places. And why we care about local programming in Utah is because like we care about bands in that community. We care about, uh, yeah, knowing what is going on, yeah. right, and and in your community in ways that even if even if there isn't a news operation in a formal sort of way, although many college stations have them, um, you you you're in touch with things going on, events, uh, yeah, whether local artists, uh, local exhibitions, and it could be news because it kind of filters through if there's a local controversy, even, and yeah. you lose the sense of 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 localness, a sense that whatever makes this community unique compared to Thousand Oaks. Uh, California, and I, I think that that is that is the big point that w- that we worry about, not just with college stations, but with any sort of community station that ends up uh, leaving the dial and being sold off. Is it? It is almost always sold off either to the Educational Media Foundation, which owns hundreds of stations across the country, um, which operates uh, Air One, which operates, uh, K love radio. Is that a uh, religious program? Those are two. Again? Yeah. Two big. And, and I mean, basically if you go anywhere in the United States, turn your dial to left end. Do you hear Christian rock? It is Air One or K love mm-hmm. period. All right. It is that absolutely kind of, um, it, it is sort of the McDonald's in some ways of, of the left of the dial away that, that many of us who, who principally, listen to community college and public radio often don't pay attention to. We just flip right by. Sure. But it really, if you hear Christian rock on the radio in the United States, it is probably one of only two stations. And if you think about that, if someone told you, Oh, there's only really two, uh, like contemporary hit radio stations across the country. Yeah. Same music, same music, you know, you know, and while, and while it's been much more centralized and much more homogenized United States, uh, in the last 20 years, there's still a sense of like what you hear on the radio in Portland, Oregon is different than what you'll hear in Salt Lake City to some extent on some stations, even commercial stations. But in this mm-hmm. case, it's the same stuff everywhere. A little so it's more a country homo- in Salt Lake City, I'd say. Maybe. Maybe. Depends. <laughs> uh, it, it, there's a lot of homogenization <laughs> there, right? So it's and, – and, and it's either – Educational Media Foundation that's buying these stations or it's a public station. And – 
the public stations, if we have one argument in favor, is that they're usually it's it's a local ish public station. Meaning, you know, if it were in Utah, it might be a Utah based public broadcaster buying the station, not one based hundreds or thousands of miles away. So there would be arguably some level of local service, although more homogenization, because it's unlikely that it's a, a completely uh, a signal that doesn't already have a representation. It's just yeah. sort of filling in the gaps. There's, at these public stations, they're less likely to be um, a, a, a new DJ off the street, trained up no. and given a show even at 2 a.m. No, absolutely. And yeah, less alone. likely. Yeah, let alone Although occasionally... It. Oh. And that, I mean, this sort of transitions into another quick headline that I wanted to share that WUMD, uh, which is the station at University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth. Um, we've talked about this on the podcast, that it was in the process of having hit its FM license sold to Rhode Island Public Radio. And that has happened. And, and this week, WUMD is leaving FM and it will be run going forward by Rhode Island Public Radio and the city of license is actually moving from Massachusetts to Rhode Island. So that's another case where, uh, you know, the station won't even be operating in its former market. (laughs) Right. A lot of a uh, lot of shifting ground under community radio and small radio in the United States, and, and we had talked about this station uh, before as well. And this this is a station which, unlike uh, KWCR, um, was opered, op- operational and active with a fairly active volunteer base and active listener base prior to this sale. Right, it wasn't a station which was being fined and and sort of only going on the air a couple days a year. Right. Yeah, it was an active station over FM. Um, and, and granted, you know, the station in Utah, it appears to be a very active online-only station, so I don't want to discount what mm-hmm. what the students are doing there. Um, it's just that their terrestrial signal was not being utilized. Another loss, although in this case at least it is they'll be getting some public radio service in that area, uh, in the Dartmouth area of Massachusetts. But, well, not necessarily because they're moving the city of license to Rhode oh, Island. That's right. Well, <laughs> well, but they will still get the service. They can't. They will. They're. They will not be permitted to move this the station completely away, so they can't hear it there. <laughs> They'll just hear someone else's. Radio it's just here. that area where Rhode Island's close enough that you can do that. They're also close together there on the east coast of the United States. <laughs> yes. Well, we're about to jump into our, our sort of main feature story here on Radio Survivor. Uh, Jennifer, you take radio tours. You go to college radio stations, community radio stations, radio stations of all kinds, all over uh, all over the U.S. And and how many stations have you been to now, Jennifer? Can you even quote me that number? Uh, well, I've written up 138. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, RadioSurvivor.com. Jennifer will uh, will post the pictures and and the the report. Uh, yes. but that just because she wrote a, just because she hasn't written about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. So there's, there's a few extra dozen that you've taken that you, uh, have in your notes and in your camera that haven't been uh, published. Yet. So 138 yes. radio stations. And, and so today, uh, Jennifer, you're going to tell us about a station in Philadelphia. That's right. Yes. Um, Philly cam, which is W P P M L P is one of, Uh, the low power FM stations from the most recent 2013 application window. And in a really amazing bit of serendipity, I was in Philadelphia for a college radio conference in October and happened to see an invitation for the Philly cam lunch party. And it was when I was there. So I, I was able to duck out of the college broadcasters Inc conference one afternoon to be there when Philly cam had its official countdown to go on the air and, and they'd been on the air a little bit before that time. But, um, you know, sometimes stations will have kind of a big to do with luminaries and cake (laughs) and, and to celebrate, you know, kind of the official launch. And so it was the official launch of live regular live programming over the station that happened in October October 20th, 2016. Um, and in so fact, it was great. In fact, you have audio of that, which we're going, we're going to hear that right now. Let's listen to oh, yeah. that. Let's listen to that station launch. So we are now getting ready to count down uh, to go live. We took a poll on 
on, um, on, on, uh, on Facebook, on social media, that's what everybody does these days, to find out what should be the first song that we should play when we go on the air. Yeah. We're hoping this is going to work. So anyway, here we go. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, So Jennifer, tell us uh, tell us a bit more about about Philly Cam. What what kind of station is it? <laughs> Why is it called Philly so Cam? It's, I know. Well, it's Philly Cam, which is the Philadelphia Community Access. Uh, well, it's <laughs> Philly Cam is Philadelphia Community Access Media, hmm. and so it's an existing community access organization um, that's been around. Uh, started doing cable TV broadcast in two thousand nine. And then they became interested in radio pretty soon after and um, and eventually added this low-power FM station. So it's one of a handful of community access stations uh, with LPFMs that I personally have visited. And it's kind of a an interesting and cool hybrid to be able to have TV production and radio production yeah. under the same roof. Um, and I saw that, you know, during the opening... Uh, during the celebration on the launch day, the the festivities were happening in the TV studio. So they were able to film the entire festivities. And they also had a camera in the radio studio. So we were in the TV studio and we could watch video from the radio studio while it was going on air for the first time. So it's great because it's already an established organization that has you know, plans in place for, um, how they set up training programs for people, um, and, you know, really nice facility that they were able to build a studio in. So that's been great to have that whole infrastructure. So even though it's a brand new LPFM, it's in a very established organization, which I think has a lot of benefits. And, and so the LPFM station has a free form community access model to it. So it's it's a wide range of programming, um, lots of music shows, lots of talk shows, um, things that are addressing social justice issues. Um, there's a teen talk show, a show about post-prison life, mm. a show about drug policy and reform, um, one about hip-hop, graffiti, and social movements. So some interesting programming, you know, reflective of the community in Philadelphia. And and obviously in October, things were just getting started. So the schedule wasn't completely filled out. Um, but I, I followed up with Vanessa Graber, who is the station manager. And, and she gave me some more details about what has been happening since October. And they've had some interesting jazz programming Um and I know, Paul, you just wrote about a project that they're about to do as well. Yes. Uh, so this project um, they're doing in coordination with uh, Prometheus Radio Project. Prometheus Radio Project is a, uh, is a Philadelphia-based nonprofit that ha- is instrumental in there being a low-power FM radio service to begin with. And furthermore, also uh, help stations get on the air and stay on the air. They in many build cases. them. They do barn raisings. They do barn raisings, or they did at least yeah. in the history of this. And uh, done many, many barn raisings. where people century. come together to put the radio station on the air in a way that the Amish might uh, build a barn in their community. And so there's going to be this project called Radio Silence, which is a ten-part radio event um, from an Iraqi American artist named Michael Rakowitz that is basically exploring the sort of forced Iraqi di- diaspora. So many people who have to leave Iraq, who've had to leave Iraq, yeah. um, for any number of reasons, political, of course, uh, because of the two wars that have and been violence. fought there, uh, because of violence. And looking at, uh, you know, what is what is this, you know, physical and emotional landscape uh, that has happened in, in all of these years um, and exploring it through audio. And then they're going to do it sort of in a, in a more uh, kind of uh, forward looking sort of way. 
Um, so it's not just it's not just a, a radio documentary, but I think they're going to use collage and sound along with with both Iraqi refugees, but also Iraq War veterans, bringing musicians and performers to kind of frame these experiences and, and reconstruct what they say in Iraq, quote, dematerialized by literal destruction and diasporatic separation, people being uh, moved around all around the world. So it's a 10-part series, and it launches July 29th, and it'll launch there in Philadelphia with a live event that mm. will be on uh, Philly Cam. They'll be on both radio and their television, their public access TV station. Exciting. Uh, and it's sponsored by the Mural Arts Philadelphia, which is an arts organization there in Philadelphia. But the interesting thing is that this 10-part series is free to air to any community radio station. So to any non-commercial station around the country, around the world, may cooperate, may be part of this and air the, any part of this series or all 10 parts, they can also sign up to uh, do it live. So turn it into an event. So I think that's actually a really, really cool element as well. So we have more about that. Um, you can learn about it at radiosurvivor.com. If you go to our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and look for episode 97, we can tell you more about that. We're going to try and uh, have uh, the person behind this project, Michael Rakowitz, on the program. I want to hear this project. Yeah, we want to hear more about it. Well, there is a trailer up, so you can get oh, kind good. of a sense and a taste of it. But it's really cool that Philly Cam is being able to provide that sort of uh, physical center to it, Yeah, right? Uh, both on the air and on television. And I think that's the interesting thing about public access TV stations, which are often now calling themselves community media stations because they understand that it's not just about television now. It's about internet. It's about many different sites of media making and distribution. But the interesting thing about them having radio stations is that it does open up the access more. Because one of I think one of the things that, that uh, is often a challenge for public access TV is the fact that it is bound to cable television. And that for some people, that alone is a barrier to accessing the programming because they can't afford or in some cases simply can't get cable television. Um, and even though it's usually available with the, like the, you know, the, the least expensive packages and, and cable television companies are supposed to, to offer often subsidized and, and inexpensive packages, it still means that a lot of people simply are counted out from receiving the programming. But a radio station – even even a hundred watt low power station and 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 a density like Philadelphia covers a lot of folks. Yeah, and it gives them access to some of the talent and some of the programming in this case, which is sort of multimedia through their radios that they don't need to even have cable television to access. Paul, I remember way back on episode eleven of the Radio Survivor podcast, which was back in August of twenty fifteen, you spoke with Vanessa Graber at um, at Philly Cam, and the thing that sticks out to me. I haven't re-listened to it in a year and a half, but I just remember being excited about, uh, she was describing her neighborhood there as just being very, there's a very vibrant hip hop mixtape culture. And to be able to uh, give some radio time to that already existing and vibrant scene just was such a delightful bit of news because uh, it was already happening uh, in those communities, but there were it wasn't being played on the radio. All this local music was thriving without radio's help, and so to be to actually get a little radio into that community just makes me happy. Especially because now I can eavesdrop, I can ask my internet radio to play me some Philly Cam and maybe get a taste of what's going on there in that in that part of the yeah, world. Yeah, they're definitely they're doing a lot of interesting things with the community, and I think it's really a station of. Philadelphia. Um, and you know, and then there are other shows that are just sort of unexpected. Um, Vanessa was telling me about the talking machine hour that plays vintage music off 78s mm. using a hundred year old Victrolas. <laughs> so, you know, they've got that, they've got the old and the new. Um, and she said most of their DJs play vinyl. So she was really proud of that too. Um, and there's one show that plays 45s with an emphasis on the LGBTQ audience, which is timely as we're in Gay Pride Month right now. So, yeah, it, it definitely seems like a thriving, interesting station right out of the gate. And and it was they were broadcasting online right. or they were transmitting online before the LPFM launch. So they had 
a little bit of time to start developing shows um, prior to going over FM. But, you know, it continues to evolve. It's wonderful to see uh, Philadelphia get a community radio station. Now, Philadelphia has been home to some great college stations uh, for quite some time. And you visited them, <laughs> Jennifer, and you've listened to them, in fact, uh, when, you, when you lived in the Philadelphia area. Right. Uh, but there's been no like community station, a place where you know you don't need to be enrolled in school or or know sort of the secret code word to find out how to how to get on the air. That's really community facing and integrating itself into a community in this particular sort of way. It just hasn't been there in Philadelphia, yeah. even though it's like one of the largest media markets in the country. It's one of the largest cities in the country um, and yet hasn't had a community radio station. So it's wonderful that this opportunity is there and that there was an organization already with deep roots and with already with, with, with some staff and, and the ability to, to, to pull this off, uh, pick up the mantle and put the station on the air. Yeah, it's great. It, it definitely seemed like it was needed. Um, and also, you know, Prometheus Radio Project is in Philadelphia. So I'm sure that they were excited that the LPFM opportunity, you know, was actually obtainable for some organizations in Philadelphia right in their backyard. Indeed. I mean, there, there's such rich history there in Philadelphia because the roots of the low power FM movement one part of it, one one very strong root with many tendrils, is the free radio movement of the 1990s, is pirate radio. And in particular, there was a very active station in Philadelphia uh, because there was no community radio in Philadelphia. And because at that time, there was no low-power broadcasting. And there and in, in such a crowded market there from between uh, going from uh, New York City down to Philadelphia, down to Washington, D.C., there was no opportunity to buy or create a new station. The dial was otherwise full. And there was no internet, And kids. there was no internet. Well, there's no internet radio at the time, at yeah. least. There was an internet, but there was no internet radio. Um, folks put together a pirate station that eventually was uh, addressed and shut down by the FCC. But what it did, it was part of a movement in which people were uh, sort of radicalized and said, Hey, wait a second. What if, what if the FCC would license a station for us? Would we want that instead of having to be unlicensed? No station is illegal. Yeah, indeed. And one person who is part of that collective um, is Pete Trittish who is one of the founders of Prometheus Radio Project. Um, it is that rich history, and many people who fed in then to, to helping uh, form that movement to convince the FCC to license low-power FM. Many people came from the free radio movement because they got tired of building community stations that then they had to sort of protect from being shut down, looking for ways to to build legitimate stations. And on top of that, of course, the, the pirate radio scene continued to put pressure on the FCC and in, in that they had to enforce. You know, They had to go out and shut these stations down, and folks inside the FCC started to think, well, gee, maybe if we started giving some of these folks licenses, the problem might go away at least be, or at least be somewhat me, uh, you know, mediated, especially amongst those stations that were really trying to build yeah. a station that was a community station that weren't, that wasn't just pirate for the sake of being unlicensed, but, but looking to do that kind of community In case we service. have a listener or two who hasn't been uh, tuned into all 97 episodes of the Radio Survivor podcast here on, here on the show, <laughs> we've, um, we've discussed at length how... Uh, a pirate radio station more often than not is just a community radio station like uh, striving to be legitimate. It it comes from a place of need, of real need for a station that addresses a certain community. Uh, that need is unattainable for whatever reason through the legal channels, and so it goes on the air as a pirate. Or because often sometimes folks don't even know what what, what the legal channels would be, and yeah. it's too hard to figure out. And of course, but it wouldn't be on the air if there wasn't a community that was uh, exactly that was into it. And it's important to note when we get these. This question comes to us often by email. 
Today, you cannot get a new low-power FM station because it's only periodically that they open up a filing window that people can apply. And currently, there is not a window open. And so if you decided today, I would like to have a new low-power community station in my city, uh, unless there was somebody already with a license and maybe you could work out a deal, uh, it's not going to happen. And so it just it, 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 that's how closed off still in many ways the airwaves are and why it was so important that these folks dedicated so much time and effort and, and not everyone, you know, was came from that sort of not that sort of free radio community. Many people uh, opposed the free radio community, but still they could come together and cooperate to create a new service that was, that's inexpensive and very community focused in low power FM it has changed the radio landscape in the United it States. It has changed been, it in a massive sort of way. Low power um, FM. So j- yeah, and we and we didn't think that it would come to major cities like Philadelphia. So it's it's truly an amazing accomplishment. Absolutely, because right, those cities were already so crowded. The airwaves were crowded. So who knew that they could? Well, someone knew, but they would have to squeeze in in a very. Um, you really would have to have a very intelligent radio, uh, a cadre of geeks to figure out how to squeeze those stations onto the airwaves in places like Philadelphia. Uh, but that's a whole yep. other story. Yes. That's we a whole so other bit of history. Them. At some point, I guess we need to produce that sort of history of low power FM episode, uh, because it yeah, is interesting. More and, and yeah. you know, and you know, if you're listening to us on the air in Portland, Oregon, there's new low power FM stations, uh, doing community broadcasting here. And probably if you are in the United States, there is very likely a new low power FM station within, uh, 25 miles of you, especially if you're anywhere, uh, in a, in a slightly populated area. It's not even a major city, but even a small city. Um, it's likely Jennifer, thank you so much, uh, for taking time out of your travels there to the college broadcasters in conference to go visit Philly cam for us. It was wonderful to learn more about this station. Yeah, I was super excited that I got to be there. So glad to share that with you. And people can see pictures and learn more about that station uh, at our website, radiosurvivor.com. If you go to the show notes, that'll be the simplest way. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and look for episode 97. And I want to remind folks, this is a listener and reader supported enterprise. It's because of you that we're able to go and help Jennifer do some of these tours. And we're able to keep all our hosting costs going on uh, that we're basically able to keep this enterprise going. So uh, we'd love it if you would learn how to support us at radiosurvivor.com slash support. Of course, we'd love it if uh, you would drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Are you listening to a new low power FM? Are you part of a new low power FM? Is your smart speaker delivering you low power <laughs> FM stations? Uh, give us an email podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We'd love to hear from you. Jennifer, thanks for joining us for another edition. Jennifer Waits, our college radio expert and radio tourist extraordinaire. <laughs> Happy to be here. Eric, thank you for joining me. Eric Klein, yeah. co-producer and co-host am, here of Radio Survivor. I am also so pleased to be here again for another hour of talking about this world of radio, past, present, and future. Looking forward to the next one. I'm Paul Reismanel, and we thank you for spending an hour with us. We really appreciate you listening to Radio Survivor. Hey, we didn't... Uh, that was the end. But uh, last week, we didn't talk about the... Uh, I, the, 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 this is the possibility. We could throw this in or not. I don't know what you're talking yes, about. Yes, I know, right? I'm having <laughs> trouble forming that sentence. Um, last week on the podcast, Paul, you pointed out to me that I let something slip that the listeners, I'm sure, if they were listening, had to have been aware of. And I'm also sure that some of our radio producers in the audience uh, guessed exactly what had happened. We had an interview with Brian Edward Stiekert and... Uh, Brian was uh, recording a backup for us, a a high-quality on-mic backup of the interview that we were intending to air, and then we had the the call over the internet. Was it Skype, perhaps? Was it Google Hangouts? How did we have that call connected? Over the phone. We had a phone call connected, (laughs) and we were recording that as a backup here in Paul's studio, and uh, good thing we had the backup going because we had a laptop crash, and... Um, uh, a certain percentage of Brian's on mic recording was lost forever, but we were oh able to bring you the entire interview by uh, switching 
back and forth. There was actually about five dropouts where I had to switch to the phone call in the middle of a sentence, but I chose not to cut the sentence. I chose to keep it and just uh, switch to that sound so that Brian's uh, full statement could be heard by the listener. And then uh, right at the end there for the last 12 minutes, we had to switch entirely to the phone call. And then after all of that, uh, back and forth between those two sounds of the interview, um, I never told anybody what they were hearing. And so... uh, so if you heard that, yeah, that's what you heard. We're sorry. <laughs> well, we'll try to bring it out, but we wanted to bring you the, the interview. Uh, you know, we're doing this. That's the explanation. Yeah, I'm not sorry. We do. This I'm so- actually really proud of the fact that yeah, you did a good job. That we had uh, the full interview as opposed to losing any of it forever. Why don't we leave this tacked on to the podcast yeah, part here? So, so, so what happened here right now, for those of you who didn't hit stop <laughs> quickly <laughs> enough on your podcast, is you're getting the after dark. So this, this isn't going to the radio the first stations. One, yeah, we've been planning on doing this for a while This now. is our after dark. Yeah. Uh, when we, oh, I, see, I didn't even know we were recording. We're still it's recording, so we, we, we've, we've, uh, we've taken off our, our, uh, our shoes. The sun, uh, is, the sun is still shining I've in take, Portland, I've, Oregon. I've loosened my collar. My tie is off. And I, I think poured, my husband is now making his lunch because he can make noise. That's there right. Yeah, that's okay. He can make. Yeah, that's right. Brian can have lunch now. I've poured myself uh, a vodka, phone's ringing. A vodka <laughs> gimlet, and uh, and and I think one of the explanations we have to give a little bit is 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 just so <laughs> people understand. Often uh, for uh, radio or podcast, people do something called a tape sync. Yeah. And that's where they talk to each other over the phone or Skype or something, but they each record their own voice so that you mix it together. It sounds uh, almost like you're in the same studio together. And, and that's because otherwise, the only way to get really high quality audio is to use a very expensive phone line called an ISDN. Yeah, it's which, really out of date. Well, Even you actually can't do get new anymore. ones. Yeah. Like if I called up the telecom here in Portland, they won't install one. So this is a way which people have uh, have gone away, gone around to try and I'm so happy we're doing a, this because a, uh, a even, workaround. Even, even the idea that you would explain what a double ender or mm-hmm. a tape sync or a simul rec, these are all the words I've heard used to describe this. Even the idea that you would have to explain that to somebody reminded me that when I teach a podcasting class tomorrow, I really, really <laughs> need to mention it because I just forgot that that's a thing that people wouldn't know about. Mm-hmm. To me, in my world, of course, you know about the fact that you would do that. Yeah. So and um, and it and, you know so if, if you're talking if you're interviewing someone who's a podcaster and you're a podcaster, it's a good chance that they've yeah. done it before. Or if they haven't, you can ask them, "Hey, can you use your setup?" And record yourself and if you're send me the file. Interviewing anybody who's comfortable recording themselves. Yeah. So I actually, um, I actually did an interview a couple like a month ago where the person wasn't a podcaster, but they were, uh, they offered to record themselves on their phone. Mm-hmm. So anybody who you're comfortable asking for a favor and that you know that they won't. Um, uh, blow their cool by having to record for whatever half an hour, an hour onto their phone and then email it to you. So there's a, there's a good chunk of the population that can help you out in this regard. And then you get on mic sound for your record for your tape. But if they're recording crashes, yeah, you need a backup. <laughs> which, which is what happens. Or and they, so yeah, or yeah, you need it, a backup. So, sometimes difficult to record uh, both channels, but we have a setup here and believe me, this setup that I have, which, which was actually featured in that, in that radio world article they wrote, uh, when we uh, huh. when we started the podcast huh. two year two years ago this month, by the way, Aww. we're on our two year anniversary. Yeah, we skipped a few weeks, so it's, uh, like, we skipped a few count, weeks. You can't yeah. count the episode. But we've numbers. been doing it for two years. Um, yeah. I, I sort of explained it to them because I've got a mixer that is uh, seventeen years old, mm-hmm. and I'm using an old MacBook that's uh, I don't even know how old it is, but it's it's seven eight years old, and my nice MacBook, which is now like five years old. Mm-hmm. It records. We do Skype on a separate computer. He he records on his nice MacBook. He Skypes on his older MacBook. Uh, yeah. Because, you want to keep the call separate from the recording. Because what I can do then by using the mixer, and this, you know, we do what's called a mix minus. So we're doing podcast school inadvertently here. Yeah, here he comes. So the folks who didn't care can, have, but can if, turn off. But if people email you and, and get ask you to explain mix minus, what's going to happen? So the mix minus <laughs> is a case in which I'm sending to the Skype call, Jennifer. Only my voice and Eric's voice. But not her own voice. But not her own because yeah. it would come back uh, a little delayed and would induce psychosis if she tried to talk to us for too long. It would be like a really <laughs> bad Google Hangout, which is mm. most of them. But uh, oh. <laughs> it's someone who is on Google Hangouts all the time. 
Um, and so I send to Skype just our voices. We get Jennifer's voice and we mix them together for the podcast so that you're hearing all of us at once. And I do this just on a regular old mixer. This is not a fancy mixer, but almost every mixer that costs more than 50 bucks has a, has what's called an aux send. There are so many ways to podcast these days. Yeah, but this is how I do it because I've had this equipment for a long time um, and I didn't feel like going out and buying new You know equipment. how I've been podcasting lately and I just I – just, I'm willing to still just talk about it here in, in the semi-public forum of this After Dark podcast is I've been um, – Plugging my iPhone, uh, which which is which iPhone is this? The, I don't know. It's six, six. right? Yeah, because the seven doesn't have the headphones jack. Remember right. on episode three of the podcast where I was like, I love my headphones jack. I don't want to give up my headphones jack. Plugging into the headphone jack um, a uh, eighth inch stereo plug out to a quarter inch mono plug that goes into my Zoom. And... It's really good phone tape. And then I plug a microphone into the Zoom. So now I have two tracks recording uh, into a, you know, a device that's only job on the planet is to record audio. So it doesn't often crash trying to do other things the way that I'm afraid a laptop will from 2010. Um, and then uh, the person who I'm talking to on the phone uh, is hearing me via the phone's built-in microphone but that's good enough. speakerphone and it's great they can hear everything they can hear me whisper they can hear me scratch it's just more beard. difficult if there were if we we're trying to do both of us you, you and i me and the phone yeah mm, i could pull it off i mean you go to 100 podcast studios and you will see 100 that, different I think ways that is the point though. in which people but this has been, tackle this problem this has been a new technique that i've used which feels very um so simple and, and, and yeah and then we uh, and then Jennifer joins us via Skype, although she's using a USB microphone to kind of improve the sound. It sounds so good these days. Better than it can than it would be otherwise. Yeah. Um, you still there, Jennifer? I'm still there. Oh, okay, Have we're we bored. Well, you. And you know what? Yeah. <laughs> it's well. It's also making me Nerds. think. Um, so I tour radio stations, and sometimes when I tour a radio station, well, often I'm recording yeah. on my iPhone, but sometimes they'll offer. Oh hey, why don't we just go in the studio and we'll record the interview for you and send you the audio later? Mm-hmm. So that's another benefit of doing the kind of reporting that I'm doing is that I'm visiting places that have radio studios and they can actually record for me. Yeah, that's yeah. what I did at Bainbridge Community Broadcasting, which is the community podcaster, not not no radio station, but the community podcaster in Bainbridge Island, Washington. I I, I showed up at their door to uh, talk with Barry Peters, one of the co-founders. And he said, well, you know, anyway, we'll talk because I didn't plan it. I just sort of showed up in Bainbridge Island and dropped him a line. And he was more than glad to come over and, and talk with me. And we sat down and went in the studio and recorded yeah. it. And he sent me the uh, the audio. Well, and there's been at least a half a dozen episodes of Radio Survivor where the radio people we interview recorded themselves and emailed us mm-hmm. the file. So, so anyway, a little behind, behind the, the scenes, scenes. Uh, here in the after dark. Um, my drink is just about done. I was, I was, despite all my yapping, I was able to uh, suck down my vodka gimlet and that'd be a different <laughs> show we would have an entirely I'm, different i'm gonna show. put my shoes back on now we're gonna talk about something <laughs> this is my other podcast theory that i'm gonna share with the with the listener that um there are drinking there are there are alcohol podcasts and there are coffee podcasts this is a coffee podcast and this is a coffee podcast and and uh, unless jennifer uh you're you <laughs> unless you're doing some day drinking we don't know about <laughs> Uh, well, not today. Jennifer but, is a winemaker, yeah. so you you can justify day drinking as part of your job. It's really the best time to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? That, why that's when drinking the, only that's, that's when the kids are awake. That's why. <laughs> fresh palate. Yeah. Fresh. Oh. Palette. Fresh palate. Wine is yeah, so just sophisticated. Don't, just don't have wine yeah. right after you. Wine brush is your so teeth. sophisticated. I just edited yeah. a podcast about the the least sophisticated wine, but it's nice to talk. Nice to hear you. The least sophisticated wine. I don't want to. I don't want to out them. The biggest. Okay. The biggest wine company on the on the planet. Ernest and Julio. Yeah, maybe, you maybe, neither maybe confirm nor disconfirm. So yeah, it's nice to hear is someone it, who loves wine. Is it Mogan David 2020? <laughs> All right, listeners. Thank you so much. Have a good Boone's one. Boone's Farm. 